have to be a professional. And I tell people this all the time. What does a professional do in anything to be a professional? If you're a professional golfer, you're working on your putt in five hours a day, right? You're at the driving range for two hours at 10 o'clock at night. You're learning and you're preparing. And uh, so many salespeople um, don't do all the things necessary. Hopefully, there's a bunch of people listening to today's show who are going to take the lessons that you've taught over a thousand episodes and the lessons that uh, I've talked about over 550 episodes and in my new book, Insights for Sales Game Changers and, and your new book. Um, and they read it and they just don't rip it. They practice it. They write it down. That's like, I'm going to implement what Andy Paul says in chapter three today. And I'm going to implement uh, what Fred talks about in chapter 10 about sales mindset. I'm going to implement some of these things because I truly want to become a, a more successful sales professional. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Fred Diamond. Fred is the president and co-founder of the Institute for Excellence in Sales. Also, they author a couple new books. One, a sales book titled Insights for Sales Game Changers, and a very personal non-sales book titled Love Hope Lyme. What family members, partners, and friends who love a chronic Lyme survivor need to know. And we get into that a little bit later in the conversation. But first up, we're talking about some of the key points in his new book, Insights for Sales Game Changers. And we start by talking about why every sales interaction is a conversation that nurtures and grows a relationship. We get into why top sales professionals look at relationships differently. They have indispensable relationships, as Fred calls it, that pay off for decades. It's an investment they're making in their network as an asset. We talk about how to develop an optimal sales mindset, and we dig into some practical and powerful strategies for listening and questioning. We also explore why creativity is essential in sales and how to learn how to be creative. So we get into all of this and much, much more, but before we get to Fred, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's jump into it. Fred, welcome back to the show. Andy, it's great to see you. It's been a couple of years. I think it's been six years, uh, but you've been on my show in between then. So Wait, uh, six years since you've been on the show? No. It's been a really? while. I was, I was in a different office at the time, and uh, we then brought you to speak in Virginia at the Institute yeah. for Excellence in Sales. And yes, that was that fun. Was, yep, that was back in 2017. So Holy cow. Yeah. Time, time <laughs> flies. <laughs> Did not see. I knew it was, yeah, obviously it was pre-pandemic, but I, if you'd yeah, ask me, I would thought. Yeah, yeah, but we've kept in touch, obviously. We've spoken many yeah. times since then. <laughs> yeah, but still. Wow. Okay. Well, welcome back. Uh, so, yeah, you gave people a little bit of a hint. So tell people about you and what you do. Yeah, well, in this context, I, I am the co-founder of the Institute for Excellence in Sales, and we're a uh, member-based organization for employers. We help them attract, retain, and motivate top-tier sales talent. We're fortunate to have sponsors including Salesforce, Red Hat Software, uh, IBM, Oracle, uh, mm -hmm. Cvent software, Amazon Web Services. So typically enterprise B2B type of software or type of technology or businesses, not really just technology. We have our women in sales program. We have our premier sales employer. And uh, our mission is to help them, again, attract, retain, motivate, and elevate top-tier sales talent. Excellent. So you do that primarily through holding, well, you got your podcast as one. You've also the Game Changers, Sales Game Changers. You also have... Um, events as you said that you do what else do you do 
Yeah, we did. We have, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, of course, we were doing a lot of live events. We were fortunate to have you as as a speaker at one of them. Uh, we've made, like everybody, a pivot to virtual. We uh, are back to doing some live events, uh, mm-hmm. typically in the D.C. area, Washington, D.C., which is where I'm based. But the majority of our stuff continues to be virtual. We have our Women in Sales Leadership Forum, which I'm so proud of. Uh, it's a leadership cohort for women in sales leaders, typically directors above at enterprise uh, sales companies. We have right. women, not just in the US, but in Europe, Asia, who are participating in that particular uh, program. And we're very, very proud of it. Very cool. Very cool. And now you've just published a new book sort of based on interviews you've done on your podcast. It's titled Insights for Sales Game. <laughs> I, I could speak better different times. I don't know why it's so hard today. Insight for Sales Game Changers, lessons from the most important sales leaders on the planet. Though, apparently I didn't make the cut. Uh, well, here's the thing. We have so much content. We have so much content. I felt bad for a second. I'm not one of the most important sales leaders on the planet. I didn't make. Oh, you're definitely one of the most important sales leaders with, with the hundreds of thousands of followers that you have uh, on LinkedIn and, and other platforms. And as you and I have talked about, you are kind of the godfather of sales podcasts. You were one of the first guys to create a sales podcast and you basically set the uh, tone for many of uh, us who followed you and including myself. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. We basically said, all right, we need to write a book. And one thing that we've been doing uh, since day one of the sales game changers podcast Mm -hmm. is we've been transcribing. We've transcribed every single episode we've ever done. And that's actually one of the best investments that uh, I ever made for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One is people, as you know, we always want people to listen to our podcast because you could hear the inflection and you could hear the the banter back and forth. But you know what, Andy, if someone's just going to read the transcript, I'm a hundred percent okay with that as well, as long as they're consuming and accessing the content. Right. So when we decided to sit down and write a book, we said, we have so much great content. Uh, let's get some of the best examples from some of the first 450 shows at the time. Now we're over 550 shows and, and put them into a book and, and other formats. Yeah. Well, I think it's yeah, a useful thing to do. I mean, it's, it's, um, you get a lot of different perspectives in it. And I think that's one of the real challenges in sales these days is getting people to also change perspectives, but evaluate and then, uh, listen to and consider additional perspectives to how they might be doing things. Now, that's a great point. And a lot of the VPs who have joined the Institute for Excellence in Sales said that they joined because their people have either stopped listening to them or, you know, they need another perspective, if you will. You know, back to you, uh, when we the way we created the book is we we thought of the 30 most common words that have been uttered on the Sales Game Changers podcast. Mm-hmm. Those are words like empathy, leadership, prospecting, teamwork, listening. And uh, we had uh, some people on our team go and review all of the transcripts from day one. And what were some of the great quotes as it related to empathy or mm-hmm. leadership or creativity or preparation? And then we narrowed it down to 14 of those words. But in the process, some of the words had 300 great quotes, you know, and some had a couple of dozen. And, and one of our uh, researchers said, wow, Fred, you, you have so much content here. You could, you could do six books. And I went to my publisher. I said, we're going to do six books. And she said, let's get the first one done. <laughs> let's do one first. But we're already working on book number two, which Excellent. is insights. Yeah. Insights for sales game changers, women in sales leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And we've already created the framework for insights for sales game changers, volume three. And, and I'm sure you'll make an appearance in, in one of the upcoming ones uh, over All the right. next. Yeah. I'll be able to sleep at night then. Okay, good. So, well, let's, let's, I want to do a sort of cherry pick things from the book to talk about because yeah, it's, it's, you know, lots of quotes from other people and, and so on, but your chapters organized, you said by these, these, these words uh, and, and topics. So, I want to start chapter three. Every sales interaction is a conversation that grows a relationship. So what was sort of the best bit of advice that you liked from that chapter? No, that, that's a great chapter. If you don't mind, I'd love to jump to chapter number four, which is urgency. You need compelling reasons to act. And uh, the reason I liked that chapter so much was, you know, we talk about that a lot. We could go through all the sales processes and we could, you know, engage in conversations and talk all day. But if we don't have that urgency to get people to act, you know, it's interesting. Some of the quotes through the book, Andy, are, are great. I've had people who've read the book and said, I've gotten so inspired, but we have to remember that we're in sales and our company needs us to do things that are going to help move the bar, bring in revenue, especially over the last two years when, mm-hmm. when everything has changed. There was a great quote by Mike Schmidtman. Do you know Mike at all? Did you ever come across him? I don't. I do not know him. He's a sales trainer. He's based in in Warrington, Virginia. He holds mastermind groups. Most of his domain expertise was in the telecommunications and integrated communications mm-hmm. world. And he made a great quote, which I'm going to read here. Urgency needs to be built in at the beginning of a sales presentation, the middle and the end. If you throw urgency only at the end, you're being salesy and pushy. So, you know, that was a great point because a lot of times we think that, uh, okay, it's the end of the month. So our company is expecting us. So we're going to get really urgent at that point, or we're going to be urgent when the customer is not ready to be moved to the next stage. And that's actually something that ties back into the conversations chapter is all the conversations are meant to move you through the process. Yeah, well, it's an interesting, interesting topic. I mean, um, yeah, I, I'm not not convinced that in the main that sellers have a role in creating urgency. I don't disagree with that. And if you do, if you create fake urgency, or if you push the customer too quickly, you're you're going to turn them off. You know, one of the things that I realized in the book too, and you talk about a, this, but it's, but it's a standard sort of trope in sales training is you know that sellers have to create the sense of urgency in the buyer, and yeah, I just don't think that's the case. I think buyers <laughs> buyers are on that journey for a reason. No, that's a great point. The only thing I would push back with on is. Your job as a sales professional is to generate revenue for your company. Now, if you, you can't create a fake scenario, I agree with that a thousand times because yes, the buyer is on their journey. It is the buyer's process, customer centric, et cetera. But you need to be conscious as a sales professional. And that's what came, keep, came, keep coming up at that chapter as well. You know, the other thing too, I think, you know, Dave Curlin, yes. you know, uh, you know, he wrote, of course, um, uh, the book where he tied in baseball metaphors to sales, a, a great sales assessment leader. And he made a great point here, which goes to what you're saying. It's magical when the prospect and the salesperson both have urgency. There's alignment and the sense is that they are collaborating together to get something important done 
When only mm-hmm. the salesperson has that urgency and the prospect doesn't, the salesperson will be seen as pushy and tone mm-hmm. deaf. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, you've made a great point there. His book, by the way, is called Baseline Selling. Um, you know, it's it's synchronicity. It's 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 being together. It's and it goes back to a lot of what, what we talk about and you talk about in your book too, is that the mission of the sales professional is to help the customer achieve their goals, whatever it is. Right. At the end of the day, yeah, yeah. And I, you're in sales. There's always going to be a sense of urgency, right? You've got numbers. You got to hit. You got to got. You have targets, and uh, that's just a fact of life. But you also have to have sufficient breadth of opportunities in your pipeline that that enable you to hit hit your numbers in a certain time frame right and that's uh, a great yeah and you know one of the things as i was was reading all the quotes and thinking about the sales leaders now we had two different types of people who participate on the sales game changers podcast we have sales leaders at companies vps mm-hmm. of sales as a matter of fact prior to the pandemic every interview i did was with a quota carrying sales leader mm-hmm. at companies like salesforce amazon you know c event software uh, i even interviewed the vp of sales for dollywood you mm-hmm. know just to which actually was my favorite podcast interview Not of sure. all time yeah right it was literally we I I interviewed her. her name is Cordelia Marzak. I interviewed her right next to Dolly's office in uh, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and it was a fascinating conversation. And um, but the thing is, as I'm reading all these quotes, and the second type of people I interviewed were thought leaders and authors. People were targeting the show to sales professionals, right? You know, if you're a sales professional, you've dealt with thousands in your career. Mm-hmm. Think of all the things that need to go right for a sale to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and you have to have that. I love Dave's quote, Dave's quote, you know, the synchronicity of you and the customer being in the same place so that you can, as a professional, move it quicker to get the customer where they need to go. Yeah. Well, the, the synchronicity, I mean, another word for it, and people hate this word when I use it, but is luck, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you happen to, through hard work and through doing things you need to do you know, in terms of you know outreach and so on, is you come across someone who is sort of, you know, aligned with you relative to urgency. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's like meeting your spouse, right? It's what had to happen in the world for you to be in the same place at the same time to make that happen. Um, and I think that's true with, with sales to a certain degree. You know, did you ever listen to uh, what, what's the podcast? Guy Raz's podcast. Yeah. Um, I forget the name. Would you recall the name? Top of your head? <sighs> Anyway, no. he, he interviews entrepreneurs who've been very successful. Right. And the like last how question, I built, how I built this, how I built this. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And the last question he always asks is, was it luck or something else that allowed you to be successful? And I used to hate that question because I would say, you know what? You're interviewing a guy or a lady who created a billion dollar company and they just didn't wake up one day and had a billion dollar company. They had to put themselves out there. For those things to happen, you know, uh, you know, the concept of the bluebird sale, mm-hmm. right? Sure. That, uh, Ford Motor Company isn't going to call me right now and say, Fred, we want to give you a billion dollars to do a podcast for us. But uh, that's actually a bad example. But if I were selling things to Ford, <laughs> and if I, no, and if I were in it, oh, that'd be great if they did. If I were like, you know, focusing my whole career on the uh, automotive industry. Right. And if I had contacts and if I, you know, did a project for the CEO of Ford 10 years ago, you know, those, all of those things together. And one of the things that I've learned after interviewing all these great sales leaders, and most of them have had Andy, 
15, 20, 30 year careers. I've interviewed people who have been at Oracle and IBM and General sure. Motors for, for over 30 years. Uh, you just didn't wake up and say, I want to be a VP of sales. I'm done working in a convenience store. Mm -hmm. No disrespect to people working in convenience stores. All those things that you've done for the last you know, 20, 30 years have led to that opportunity, which fortuitously presented. I, I remember once I worked at Apple computer for a long time and we had guys who'd been in technology for their whole career. They, these guys mm -hmm. were in their seventies and Apple moved into the government contracting space, which is where I was. And we had a billion dollar contract. And I remember thinking, God, these guys just hit the biggest contract of their life in their seventies. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking how incredible is that? But then I said, well, they've been doing this for 40 years and then Apple appears the right product at the right time for the market. And they put right. themselves in that position. Right. That was luck. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's okay. That's the yeah. point I'm trying to make is it's okay. Things happen. You know, I think the one, one of the really big deals I got in my career is, is there's a guy was working for a startup. Uh, this is uh, what ultimately became the customer put out, uh, RFQ, if you will, pretty broadly. And, and we looked at it and it's for this massive system. And we were just, we were too small to even bid, mm. right? We, we wanted to, but we couldn't. And we didn't have all, long story, but we were just too early in our development. And so they had all these, you know, major tech companies respond, huge system integrators. Everybody wanted to do business with this company, huge telecom company. And they ended up not making a decision. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, knowing that they hadn't yet made the decision, I, I picked up the phone and called the decision maker and said, hey, what's going on? Uh, and that led to us winning the deal. But that was luck that they hadn't made a decision, right? I mean, you, maybe we could look at the thesaurus and have a different word for it. <laughs> but it's, it's basically, you know, luck at the end of the day. And it opened the door for us to, and this transformed this company I was working with. Um, so, yeah, it's, it exists all the time in sales and, and I don't know, as long as you're prepared to take advantage of it, I think that's what they call opportunity, right? When, yeah. or luck when, when preparation meets opportunity. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how we got down that path, but I, I, I think so sellers it's, we're not, yeah, you're not denigrating your own efforts to just acknowledge that. Yeah. There were some fortuitous things that happened that, that contributed to it but you were prepared to take advantage of it. And that's great. The key word there is, is the preparation. I mean, uh, I want to spend the rest of the time debating the word luck. I, I've, I've, for a whole bunch of different reasons, I've, I've come to the realization that it's the preparation, you know, you, you chose to pick up the phone on that day and luckily, well, okay, here I say luckily, <laughs> but in that particular situation, but you also chose to pick up the phone. You know, here's the thing too. It's like one of the things that comes through in the book as well is you put yourself in position to pick up the phone and to be in a place where your company could have helped that particular company. Um, like I said, if I picked up the phone and called that guy on that day and you know, it never would have led to anything because I haven't done, you know, the, the years of preparation to get there. And, you know, one of the things too, another chapter that we focus on is chapter five. It's, it's creativity. Yeah. No, I like that chapter. I yeah, was going to talk about it next. I mean, that's, yeah. 
Yeah, it's and actually I prepared some of the quotes from some of the chapters that I, I really enjoyed. And you know, when the pandemic kicked in, we we shifted to doing a webinar, which led to a podcast every single day. And every Tuesday we did a show on women in sales. Third, uh, Wednesday I interviewed sales VPs. Thursday we did a show on mindset, which we'll talk about. And Friday we did a show called Creativity in Sales, mm-hmm. and we kicked off this. Uh, brand, if you will, of the Sales Game Changers podcast in in March of 2020, because we said, you better be creative right now, because everything has gone out the door, and the processes that we've all been uh, prepared and deployed and trained on were really no longer valid for all the reasons that we're familiar with. So we spend every Friday, I think you might have actually been on one of those Friday shows, the Creativity in Sales, and we talked mm-hmm. about... Uh, you know, just the concept of being creative. So there was a quote from a sales VP called Trevor Vale, and he was with a software company. He was based up in New York City, Canadian guy. And he said, creativity has to be incorporated into everything we're doing right now. We have to be creative in how we address new circumstances. We have to be nimble. We have to be able to pivot. The big word of the last two years, of course, mm. pivot. Uh, we need to be prepared to change. So as a salesperson, if you're, if you're, what you're doing isn't working, you better quickly try something else. And that's something that we saw, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic was people kind of holding on to how they had been operating. And we've had so many great examples of sales leaders that we've spoken to who have either insisted that their people rethink or sales leaders themselves uh, who have thought of new and interesting ways to get the conversation further down the path. Yeah, no, part of the reason I was interested in this, this chapter is, is sort of what you just talked about is, is, yeah, we got to the start of the pandemic and, and creativity certainly is a word that came up more frequently, as you said, is, you know, we have to become more creative, more experimentation. Uh, it reminded me of some degree is also, you know, start of the pandemic is, uh, everybody said, oh, well, you know, you got to lead with empathy. Yes. And, you know, my general reaction to that is you always have to lead with empathy. This is not new. <laughs> you always have to be creative. You always have to be experimenting. And it's like, okay, I think people are sort of missing the point. As Yeah, during the pandemic required people to be more creative. But I think it's the fact that prior to, and I think even, not that we're necessarily through the pandemic, but subsequent to it, is people just fall back into patterns of behavior that aren't helping them improve. And this has been true in sales for a long time. And this idea is you didn't need the pandemic to tell you to be creative, is you need to be constantly reinventing how you engage with buyers. I would say still in general, we missed a huge opportunity during the pandemic to reset how we engage with buyers in B2B sales and, and weren't as creative as we needed to be. Yes. To your point, some were very creative and I've seen examples of that, but it's like, this is a daily demand in sales. And I think it, it's partnered with curiosity. And I think that I believe that, that, you know, it's sort of the ongoing lack of curiosity that leads to this, status quo behavior that we've seen resulting in, you know, if we look at the data that's reported on sales is, you know, falling quota attainment, you know, things we're tired of hearing, you know, win rates dropping, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, to me, that's, that's driven by lack of creativity, which really is based on a lack of curiosity about what can we do different and what can we experiment with? 
you know, you raised so many great points in, in what you just said. And, you know, um, uh, I'll get with, so chapter seven is on empathy and it's understanding what empathy is and what it's not. And, you know, as I'm thinking about what you just said, you know, if, if you want to lose weight, there's a million books and articles and, uh, and organic companies mm. that help you lose weight, but you have to decide, am I really committed to losing weight? There's no shortage. You go to the book, Barnes and Nobles or Amazon sure. you type in books. There are millions of books. There's millions of people who've lost weight. So why can't everybody lose weight? Well, because you're not committed to losing weight. You're not creative enough to change your daily processes yeah. to put in the things that you need to put in to, to do what's necessary to lose weight. I think the same thing applies in or sales. committed as well. I mean, I said that creativity. Right. I mean, it's, it's being committed. Which goes back to what you talk about in your book as well is, again, one thing I learned when we started doing the podcast during the pandemic, things changed. Everything changed. Uh, people weren't doing transactions for all the reasons that we're, fam we're familiar with. Mm. And people were still, you know, stuck on, okay, I'm going to tell my team they still need to make 50 phone calls a day. And we would hear that all the time for the mm. first six, seven, eight months is Mr. You know, people would reach out to me, Fred or Mr. Diamond, if they were younger um, or Fred, if they were younger, uh, my <laughs> boss still say. says, <laughs> my boss says, I still need to make 50 phone calls a day, but everyone's business has changed. And I would say, well, you know, reply back to your boss that it ain't just ain't working. Like, they don't, they keep telling us we still got to make our call quotas and all those types of things. And, you know, people are still thinking in, in terms, I mean, the Institute for Excellence in Sales, for example, we were famous for live events and people right now are still not interested in getting up early in the morning and going to a hotel for an event if they're not even going to the office. So we've had to pivot a mm -hmm. couple of times. I want to talk about empathy for a second. Sure. Uh, we had, um, we had a great moment and you know, it's, it's interesting what you said, because even though, yes, we should be sales is all about empathy and it really is all about creative and the great salespeople are extremely creative coming up with ideas, coming up with solutions, figuring out new ways to get other people in the customer site involved with their process. But we were either operating on uh, such rote behaviors and what was working. Mm -hmm. Let's just keep mm -hmm. doing it. Empathy was a, a great example. I remember right before the pandemic, I did a show with a woman named Alyssa Merwin, who's the VP uh -huh. of LinkedIn US. She might've uh -huh. been on your show, I don't know. Well, uh, scheduled, but had to cancel. So I think yeah. she had COVID actually, so yeah. She, she also had a baby in the last couple of years. Right. But just a fascinating uh, sales leader. And this was right before the pandemic. I used to do all my interviews face-to-face. And she talked about how she was a great sales leader because she was vulnerable. And she said she was vulnerable to a, a T to her people and sharing anything and being totally transparent with, with what was going on. And that was such a highly listened to show because that was a relatively new thing for a sales leader to admit. So then pandemic kicks in. And then the big word of the day was empathy. Mm. We did a show in, but we're now talking about it. Every right. single show. We did a show in June of, two, of 2020. And, you know, in the heyday of the lockdown, Andy Paul, we were getting 200 people every day watching us, mm -hmm. you know, do the interview like this. Now we get two. Everybody listens now. They're back to <laughs> listening to the podcast. But we got a, we got a question from the audience, which was, uh, I'm tired of being empathetic. When can we start turning off the empathy? 
And the guest who was on the show, his name is Dan Cole, uh, just a seasoned sales leader. Uh, he said, if you're feeling that way, you better take the week off because you better go to the beach and listen to music and look at the ocean because sales is all about, all about being empathetic and understanding what the customer's going through. Yeah. Yeah. I'm tired of being empathetic. Well, my first reaction to that was, well, yeah, they're not being empathetic. <laughs> they're, they're tired of something, but they're not tired of being empathetic. Well, because um, they put, they put the, they put a definition on something and it's kind of like, you know, when you learn how to do anything, play the guitar, play pickleball, whatever it might be, you know, you're thinking, okay, I need to move my arm back, swing through. I can't be standing there. I need to move there. I need to move here. In the beginning, we started telling people, you need to be empathetic. You know, you've never thought about it before. Here's the word you need to be empathetic. And okay, I need to be empathetic. I'm on the call. How are you, you know, we could see people having to think through what it meant, even though it's the core of, of what great sales professionals uh, do. I'll, I'll give you a quote here from one of your, uh, one of someone that you've worked very closely with, you know, the great Howard Brown, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of revenue.io mm-hmm. um, empathy. It's not only critical to understand what it is, it's critical to understand what it's not. Empathy is the ability to understand someone else's emotions, their feeling and their situation. It's critical in my relationship with my wife, with my children, with my coworkers, with my partners and with my customers. And it is critical because we all want to be heard. Yeah. And so I, I write about this in my book as well. And you may have, you and I may have yep. talked about it on your show is, 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 you know, there are various forms of empathy and the, the thing is that we we train salespeople, if we train them at all, in empathy, in a form that's called compassionate empathy, which is one that we're most familiar with. It's and you sort of address this a little bit in, in chapter seven of the book. Is yeah, I I understand how you feel, right? I understand how you feel, and and yeah, to some degree, when you say that, you're making someone feel heard. But there's a, a great book written about empathy by Paul Bloom uh, called Against Empathy. And he made the case that you know, we, we are misled by a reliance on compassionate empathy because he, he describes a second form, which is cognitive empathy, which is understanding not just how they feel, but why they feel the way they do, right? And without the why, you don't have enough information to take action to help them feel differently, yeah. which is what you're trying to do as a seller. And so, you know, we train people on this compassion. It's great to be compassionate for people. We, we need compassion in the world, but Bloom talks about in his book is unfortunately, like he gives example of policymakers uh, in, you know, countries and so on. They're making policy decisions based on trying to alleviate how, you know, the suffering perhaps people feel, but don't understand why they're feeling it. And so don't have the information to say, well, let's make a better policy decision. And similar in sales is, I want to understand how you're feeling, but more importantly, I want to understand why you feel the way you do. You know, why is this a pain point for you? Why is this a challenge for you in business? Why? And then with that, then I can have a better handle on, well, what, what should the solution or what could potentially the solution be? You know, a couple of things come to mind as you say that. I want to give another quote in that chapter. 
It was from a VP of sales at Microsoft, and uh, his name is Javier Vasquez. He's in their uh, public sector, I think mostly federal division. Mm-hmm. And he gave a great quote. We don't want to use empathy as a weapon. It's a valuable sales tool in a sense that it helps you get to the core of what your customer challenges are, and you could offer a solution back, but we can't weaponize it, meaning that you use empathy to just get what you want. Real empathy is a two-way street of extending emotions to each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a, that was a fantastic quote. You know, we had a lot of the, you need to be empathetic and focus on some of the things that you had just alluded to. But I really enjoyed uh, Javier's comment where he was talking about, you know, it's it's not a tool in the sense that, okay, I'm going to ask great questions. I'm going to be empathetic. 14 minutes into the call, I'm going to turn on my empathy. You know, it reminds me of, of two great things that I thought they were great that uh, came through in the podcast. One is the expression, wait, why mm-hmm. am I talking? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's become a big thing over the last year. You know, people talk a lot about listening and people as you know listen for the opportunity to talk right but you know the concept of wait why am i talking and the other quote that has there's a lot of quotes like you probably had tons that have stuck with you it was a quote from a a vp of sales at actually he's think he's vp of sales training now at a company called jg wentworth Mm -hmm. they're the company that buys and sells yeah, exactly. <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning commercials. Uh, they're the company that buys your your settlements, either insurance or, or lottery. And uh, right. Gary Milwitt is his name. And he made a great quote. He said, at the end of every podcast, uh, Andy, I ask people, give us one action step. You've given us great 20 great ideas. Give us one thing specific. He said, make everybody you talk to feel important. Right. Brilliant quote. You know, here's the thing too, is we're talking about a lot of this stuff and, you know, you, you get very deep, uh, as do we on the sales game changers podcast, a lot of this stuff, it might seem, yes, be empathetic, be a better listener. Well, you know, we want to get deep into, cause not everyone's naturally thinking that, you know, they think sometimes that, you know, even good young salespeople, that their ability to be successful is their energy or their charisma. And the reality is it's, it's really understanding what your customer is needing to achieve. Uh, you mentioned curiosity. Have you ever had Allison Horsmeyer on your show, Dr. Allison Horsmeyer? No, no. Should check her out. Um, curiosity comes up a lot. I'll ask the VPs of sales, why are you so great? You know, why have you been so successful in sales? And typically there's two things that they'll say. One is, I'm a great listener. Okay. And let's get a little bit deeper. You know, why are you mm-hmm. a great listener? How do you? What should we tell people listening to the Sales Game Changers podcast to do to be a better listener? And the other is what you just brought up before, which is I'm curious. I have an insatiable curiosity. So mm. I was seeking an expert on curiosity. Uh, her name is Dr. Allison Horsmeyer. I did a show with her uh, earlier this year in 2022, and we got deep into what it really means to be curious and how you could be genuinely curious. And it was a fascinating show. So what'd she say? Well, basically, it really goes down to deeply understanding what your customer's missions are and really having a passion. You know, one thing when people ask me, what do what would be my number one tip for them being successful uh, in sales? I always say the same thing. Number one, really, really become an expert in your customer's industry. You know, I live in the Washington, D.C. area and 
there's a neighborhood called Great Falls that has mm-hmm. these humongous houses. And, you know, I always tell people there's there's three types of people who live in those houses. The lobbyists up on, you know, Capitol Hill, you know, a lot of the corporate attorneys and the guy who sells Dell computers to the Air Force. Right. Mm-hmm. And the guy who sells uh, Sony monitors to the Navy. Right. Because right. D.C. is even though we have multiple industries like media and, the business, yeah, yeah. government, it's Fortune One. So, yeah. you know. And you don't become the guy who sells Dell to the Air Force. It's a 20-year journey being deeply integrated into the federal marketplace, technology mm-hmm. into the federal marketplace. And, you know, one of the first things is you got to be so deeply curious about what the mission of your customer is. What are they trying to achieve, not just today, but five years from now, right? You know, what is why is the Navy – doing this. And when you can ask your customers those introspective questions, and those questions aren't, gee, tell me the mission of the Navy. You know, those curious questions are, hey, I just understand that you guys just got, you know, we just put out a new $200 million program for whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Uh, How is that going to impact Pacific North, you know, Pacific Asia, Pacific you know, entreaties or whatever it might be. So it's, it's, I mean, she talked about a lot of things, but one thing that stuck with me was really understanding and the great sales professionals, they're not great because they sell Dell. They're great because they bring solutions to a specific market, which has allowed them to have nice five, 10, 20, 30 year careers. And if you're at the right place, which goes to luck, I guess, you know, if you're selling for the right company at the right time, you know, two years ago, if you were selling popcorn to movie theaters, it was a pretty difficult place to be, even if you were the number one popcorn seller on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're selling Dell to the Navy, you have a you have a pretty good life, and you've earned it. And you've earned it, yeah, yeah. I mean, the curiosity is is yeah. I, I distinguish it from understanding, right? I mean, it's the mm. precursor to understanding. Um, but I think the problem with curiosity, and there's people have written about this recently, is in I don't want to say problem with curiosity is something we need to watch out for, let's say, is that what we do is we train curiosity out of people. Mm. So this can happen at various stages in your life. I mean, anybody ever said to you, oh, Fred, enough with the questions. Just do what you're told. Mm. And, and I think we see this in sales because hey, here's our playbook. Here's the questions we ask. Have you made your calls? It's like, yeah, don't, don't question this. This is the process. Just go do it. And, but it starts at an early age, you know, in school. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're so big into conformity. We want people to conform, both societally and, and in sales. Well, conformity is the enemy of curiosity. And so, yeah. you know, people have this incentive. Let's just, you know, yeah, I got to go execute this process and it's like well sure you can they'll get you to a certain point but you're absent your curiosity and i think the curiosity is tied into to some degree with the vulnerability that you talked about before is is what holds people back from asking sometimes the in-depth questions they need to be able to ask is they don't want to ask a dumb question yeah. they don't want to make themselves vulnerable yeah right when instead, you know, that level of vulnerability, that question you ask that you're concerned might be a dumb question to a buyer, actually has value to them. No, that yeah. is a great, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And, you know, it's, it's, um, 
I remember I used to, uh, in one part of my career, I was in marketing and a big thing we did was like video customer stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, we would, you know, those kind of testimonials, I guess, whatever they would be. Um, and, um, the one thing that I realized was when a guy is a CTO of a company or a CIO, he goes home, his spouse or the other way around, if, if she's a CTO or a CIO, the spouse usually isn't asking, uh, Hey, Sonny, what's, uh, honey, what's the latest thoughts on the architecture that, you know, you guys are looking to implement. So it doesn't happen, you know? So you as the sales professional or the marketing person, when you're asking a CIOs, a thoughtful question, because back to the preparation that we talked about before mm-hmm. and the curiosity and not just the curiosity, but the genuine interest, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be successful in sales, you got to be genuinely interested in what your customers are going to be doing. Cause here's the thing that not everybody thinks about, especially in the early part of their career. Sales is a journey. You know, a lot of sure. people think, yeah, sales isn't, gee, I'm going to make one phone call and close a hundred thousand dollar deal. It may take you two, three years. I mean, think about the example you used before, you know, it was a two years before you finally got that customer to say, yeah, I think we're ready right now. Mm. You know, so if you had asked that question, well, you did ask that question two years prior and the answer was either silence or no, or no, I didn't even ready. bother to ask at that point. Cause I knew we wouldn't be considered, but. <laughs> But then it's it's the same thing. It's like, you know, sales, especially the sales that we're talking about here, it's a journey. And back to the urgency, it's such a beautiful thing when the, when both things come together. You're at the right place and the customer is, is at the right place. And you've proven time and time again that you're a word we haven't discussed here, trusted advisor, trusted partner uh, that's going to put you in position because of all the stuff that you've done. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, asking questions throughout. Hey, I noticed this article about your competitor. What are your thoughts? You know, just keeping it going with, with showing that you care and genuinely, you know, customers will see through the the BS, but you know, genuinely being interested, all the great sales leaders, Andy, that I've come across, they have that genuine curiosity, the genuine interest in what the customer is doing. Uh, I don't really have this in the book, but one of the questions that I almost always ask, mm-hmm. especially when a sales leader has had a 30 year run in public sector or finance or healthcare, they've sold to those industries. I always say, you know, you've been selling to public sector for 30 years, federal education, healthcare, you know, why is that? And they don't say, well, it's a lucrative marketplace. And they always, and it, of course it is, but they always say, I, I really believe in the mission of the customer. You know, for whatever the reason might be, like you talked about before, for whatever their life looked like mm-hmm. to be passionate, maybe their father was in the military, you know, maybe their mother had cancer and died when they were a child, or, you know, maybe their parents were teachers and they, you know, saw the challenges that their parents had, you know, earning a lot of money as teachers, whatever it might have been, right. whatever the story is, but it's the mission to the customer. And I love, I always get chills. You know, when someone says to me, I'm committed to how the Department of Energy is or Department of uh, the EPA is trying to make the world a, a cleaner place or is trying to get rid of uh, emissions or whatever the right. thing might be. And it's like, yeah, I feel that you're passionate, not because you want to sell a lot, but because you know that you're helping the world become a better place. Isn't what sales is about? Service at the end of the day? <laughs> well, it is. I'm done. <laughs> we could go for another hour talking about but a lot I'm of these not topics. Sure. Yeah, I'm just not sure how many... <laughs> yeah, I think they're saving the world or making the world a better place by doing it. But um, nice if you could. I mean, there are. I know there are people I've worked. I have clients. Uh, you know, people are selling life-saving medical devices. They feel a sense of mission. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah, I'm just 
trying to make the world better for salespeople. That's you know, hardly life life saving. But you know, there are people who yeah, they feel that mission and and that's great. I want to go back uh, to something I, you just said. I want, to, I want to correct what you just said. Um, we run a, a women in sales program, and it's a global program to help women in sales improve as leaders at companies like Salesforce and Amazon mm-hmm. Web Services, Oracle. We've had about 150 women around the world go through our program, Andy Paul. Mm-hmm. And I've had 70, 65, 70 of them. And I don't run the program. I have a woman named Gina Stracuzzi who's amazing, who has co-created and runs that program. I've had about 60 to 70 women who've reached out to me and said, this program has changed my life. It's not just made me a better sales professional or a sales leader for my company, which is great. It's made my home life happier. Oh, so, yeah. Well, I so, change the world. We change people for sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's that is important. And if yeah. one person changes, you know, the world changes. So that's I true. think what you're, you know, I, uh, what you're doing, what you've done with over a thousand episodes of the various podcasts, you know, that you've run and the writing and the articles and the blogs and the training, you know, I'm going to say that you've impacted hundreds oh, yeah. of thousands of lives yeah. for the better. Yeah. No, I was talking about world change, but yeah, yes. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it is one of the you know, things that, that yeah, tremendous my gratitude for It's just that, you know, people, <laughs> yeah, people are open to ideas, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and that you're able to have an impact on people and that people appreciate it. And yeah, that's why you and I continue to both continue doing this is, is yeah, it's not for ego gratification. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of easier, easier ways to get that. Yeah. As we wrap, do you mind if I talk about my other book real quickly? Well, sure. Let's do that. Cause we hadn't mentioned that up front, but you are publishing actually two new books. Uh, actually, I think, Today's the publication day, or yesterday was, so we're recording this. But um, yeah, let's talk about that, because it's not a sales book. No, it's not. We're actually recording today's show in the, in the middle of August. I have a second book. Uh, it's called Love, Hope, Lyme, colon, what family members, partners, and friends who love a chronic Lyme survivor need to know. And um, I have someone in my life who has chronic Lyme disease. It's an epidemic. Lyme is a tick-borne illness. Mm-hmm. It's a global epidemic. They say that... 15% of the people on the planet have either had Lyme disease or, or have Lyme disease. 15%? One out of every seven people. Wow. Um, uh, ticks are at, uh, ticks are killing moose in Maine. Ticks are all over the place. Um, there's no real cure for chronic Lyme disease. If you have a tick bite and you have some symptoms of Lyme and the doctor knows that it's Lyme, You'll take some antibiotics and it should be taken care of within a couple of weeks. But there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who didn't get the Lyme diagnosed properly. Maybe they were bit 20 years ago, couldn't figure out for 10, 20 years that they even had Lyme disease. So I had somebody in my life who um, has chronic Lyme disease. And when I decided to really understand what Lyme disease survivors go through, uh, I wrote a couple blog articles for an organization called LymeDisease.org. Mm-hmm. And eventually it led to a book, uh, which I just referred to. Um, it's it's an interesting thing. I launched, I launched both books on the same day, Insights for Sales Game Changers and Love Hope Lime. Uh, I'm the only person in history who's done a book on sales performance improvement and tick-borne illness awareness. Uh, but they're they're back. They're both kind of similar. We we used the word empathy before. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both created to help people improve their lives uh, and their livelihood. So if anybody out there has uh, 
anyone in their life who has either chronic Lyme disease. And so people have said this book works if you have someone in your life with a chronic illness that is slowing them down. Uh, yeah, pick it up. Love Hope Lyme. It's on Amazon and uh, uh, very proud of the book. Yeah, well, and thank you for writing it. I mean, I think that I've had at least a couple people on the show who have actually children that have been suffering for a long time with chronic Lyme disease, um, going undiagnosed for long periods of time or incorrectly diagnosed, as you as you mentioned. Yep. And I, it was an eye-opener for me because, maybe just because I'm <laughs> California-based for the most part, it's not as prevalent out there. Um, and you don't hear about it as often as you do perhaps back here on the East. And yeah, it's a real eye opener because just how devastating an illness it can become. Yeah. It, 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 if, for the people listening here, it's a it's a bacteria. It's transmitted from animals via ticks into humans. And, uh, the bacteria gets into all of your organs. Um, like I said, if you figure it out quickly, the antibiotics will kill it within a couple of weeks. But if it goes beyond that, it's going to be a, a very, very difficult haul. And when I say every organ, uh, every organ, including the brain, and uh, and that's where it gets really, really challenging, especially you mentioned children. Um, I, I've met so many people whose children have, you know, because children are out playing yeah. you know, in, in the woods. And one of the reasons why it's prevalent is because the deer population has grown uh, unencumbered, you know, over the last uh, two decades. But here nor there. Um, it, it, you know, the other thing too, as I wrote the book, uh, it also, you know, when we think about sales, we think about obstacles. Everyone in sales, even the most successful person has had obstacles. The customer calls and says, like you used the example before, well, you've been working on this project, but we decided we're not going to move ahead with it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Or we've canceled the project. You've worked for two years on a project. And for whatever the reason, yep. the, go- the customer calls and says, we just lost the budget or we're going in a different direction. Right. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, gee, that's an obstacle. Or the customer ghosts you and doesn't call you back or... Um, you find out that your main contact is no longer at the customer. You right. know, all these obstacles, objections that we have to deal with, you know, when I thought about it, when I learned uh, what people with Lyme go through, yeah, that's a huge obstacle. You know, it's making it through the day. Real, it's, it's, it's a real obstacle. It's a real obstacle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I did a podcast interview today with a woman named Anahid Dorian who sells, uh, she's in, Rare, uh, rare disease pharmacology, pharma, pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And she's been a sales professional for 20 years. She has chronic Lyme disease. And she talked about the challenges. Uh, she doesn't have all the symptoms, but she talked about the challenges that she goes through every day. And as I'm listening to this podcast and I'm reading the transcript, you know, it's, it's real world. Get it. Can I get out of bed today? Yes. You know, people can't get out of bed sometimes for weeks. And to be in sales, the hardest profession at any company, to overcome the usual stuff mm-hmm. that we have to deal with, and then to have to overcome, you know, something like this, it's uh it's quite remarkable. There aren't too many people who've been able to do that and do it successfully, but it gave me a deeper appreciation for all right, if we have obstacles along the way to the sale, let's figure them out quickly. Let's put a plan in place, let's go to plan B quickly. Uh you can't get rid of chronic Lyme disease or other chronic illnesses right. quickly. So you have to figure out, you know, how do I have this and be successful? It's a challenge. Yeah, but it's it, absolutely. <laughs> but it, it <laughs> speaks back to what we were talking about before. So it's just keeping things in perspective yeah. and 
you you talk about this in the book, uh, you know, emotional intelligence and emotion mm-hmm. management and so on is so critical. And it's so hard, right? I mean, it is, is, I think, one of the bigger challenges for sellers is, yeah, keep things in context, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are things that are real barriers, like having a chronic disease that's, that affects your ability to get out of bed or move or have the energy you need. Um, yeah, customer deciding they're going to wait two months to, to order something is not of the same magnitude. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if you, have to, if you can learn how to deal with that, then that, that helps you a lot. Yeah. And once again, just to wrap up, I mean, it's, you know, the thing that I've learned from the sales game changers podcast, interviewing over 550 people is to get to the highest level of sales. You have to be a professional. And I tell people this all the time. What does a professional do in anything to be a professional? If you're a professional golfer, you're working on your putt in five hours a day, right? You're at the driving range for two hours at 10 o'clock at night. You're, you're learning, you're learning and you're preparing and, uh, so many salespeople um, don't do all the things necessary. Hopefully, there's a bunch of people listening to today's show who are going to take the lessons that you've taught over a thousand episodes and the lessons that uh, I've talked about over 550 episodes and in my new book, Insights for Sales Game Changers and, and your new book. Um, and they read it and they just don't rip it. They practice it. They write it down. It's like, I'm going to implement what Andy Paul says in chapter three today, and I'm going to implement uh, what Fred talks about in chapter 10 about sales mindset. I'm going to implement some of these things because I truly want to become a, a more successful sales professional. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, oh, last point, we'll just all take it back to curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's preparation is curiosity. You're learning. You're, that's what your preparation is. I can learn about the prospect, learn about their business or Curiosity is driving that, right? Uh, want to connect with somebody? Well, I want to learn about that person. What are the things that are interesting to them? And I have these great technologies available through LinkedIn and other places to be able to do that. Um, you know, a great quote, which I, I'm sure uh, I, I'll simplify it, is you know, someone once asked Kobe Bryant, you know, who is legendary for the amount of work he did on the court and the gym, you know, outside the games to you know, prepare himself and so on. And they said, well, what's you know, the greatest contributor toward your success? He said, curiosity. Mm. Who would have thought a basketball player? Curiosity. You know, I have a, uh, a great um, Kobe Bryant story in the book. Someone I interviewed, his name is Alan Stein Jr. He's an elite basketball coach. And now he is an elite leadership coach. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called uh, Raise Your Game. And uh, I've interviewed him a couple of times. And he tells a Kobe Bryant story that when, when Andy Alan Stein Jr., was a basketball coach. He went to a, uh, a, a cohab where they um, uh, had all these elite uh, high school players and Kobe Bryant was one of the instructors and Alan Stein Jr. walked up to Kobe and said, you know, like to introduce myself, can I just watch you practice? You know, I just want to watch you for whatever. And Kobe said, yeah, sure. You know, meet me at four o'clock tomorrow morning four o'clock in the morning at the gym uh, at the end of the street. So Alan Stein said he, he got up at two o'clock cause he didn't want to get be late and he didn't want to walk in at the wrong time. So Alan says, says he get there. He got there at three and as he's walking to the gym, he noticed the lights were on and he could hear, you know, the, you know, the, the quiet sound of a ball bouncing and you know, the squeaking of sneakers and he walks in and Kobe's practicing at three o'clock in the morning. And he said, he sat back in the corner just to observe and then, uh, you know, he watched Kobe like, from four to five, whatever. And, uh, you know, he said, I thought you told me to be here at four. He said, yeah, I, I got here at three. 
you know, so, you know, the, who else, who was up at three o'clock in the morning, uh, Andy Paul practicing anything, right. Yeah. The arguably one of the five greatest players, may he rest in peace, by the way, yeah. uh, was up at three o'clock in the morning working and he wasn't working. Alan Stein Jr. Said he wasn't working on three sixty dunks. You know, he wasn't working on 50 yard three pointers. He was working on slight moves, mm-hmm. you know, moves of people. I'm sorry. Experimenting experimenting yeah. but yeah. little tiny things and he said you know he said he realized that it's it's not the 360 dunks that made kobe who he is it's the inch over yeah. that gave him a millisecond speed advantage the guy who was defending him and those are the things we need to be practicing and be curious about doing as well yeah well it's as it's, it's true in sales is is yeah you know, i like that sellers i said so your last deal you won how much did you win by Hmm. They're asking seller quantifying how much better they were than the opposition. It has nothing to do with pricing, right? Yeah. How much did you win by? What was your margin of victory? Hmm. Well, it only has to be half of a percent, right? Or a fraction of a percent better than the other. And that's exactly what Kobe was doing. He didn't have to be 15% better. He's just trying to find those little edges. So, And everything we talked about today contributes to creating those edges so fred thank you so much for joining me and if people want to connect with you or learn more about where they can buy the book obviously at amazon but um yeah fill them in the best way to reach me is linkedin i'm on linkedin all the time uh you know i have a website of course uh, the fred we have sales game changers podcast.com and the institute is i4 ESPD.org, but the best way is, is LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm actually since the uh the line book has come about, Andy Paul, oh, yeah. uh I have when I first started writing the line book, I wrote a couple blog articles for LymeDisease.org and uh one was on how to be a supportive partner to somebody with Lyme and my Facebook friends have increased by a thousand with people <laughs> who are trying to help Lyme survivors uh, make it through the day and since the book came out, uh, so if you're interested on Facebook, reach me out uh, there as well. All right, perfect. Fred, thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank our guest, Fred Diamond, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.